Inc. 5000 showcases the fastest growing private companies in the United States. And guess what? More than one Delaware business made the cut. This episode, we've got an exclusive double header with Mac McLeod of Carvertize and Chris Picard of Placers. We'll explore how these two CEOs foster a positive company culture and engage their employees in ways that make everyone a part of their success story. Get ready for a master's class in entrepreneurship, leadership, and building a thriving business. Let's get into the conversation. Welcome to Conversations with Kelly, where we take a deep dive into important topics at the forefront of the business community. I'm Kelly Basil with the State Chamber of Commerce, and today with me, I have Mac McLeod, CEO of Carvertize, and Chris Picard, CEO of Placers, two companies that made it onto the Inc. 5000 list. And I have to say, it was very exciting to see four state chamber members on that list. Today, I'm with two of them. So really excited to, to pick your brains. Um, before we jump into it, though, Mac, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your company? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Mac McLeod, the CEO of Carvertize, uh, a company founded uh, over 10 years ago while students uh, here at the University of Delaware, where we sit at our alma mater. Uh, we're a media company where we help brands gain exposure and visibility in the marketplaces, geographies, events of their choosing uh, through wrapped rideshare cars. And uh, it's a new media format that we've been kind of spearheading for the past 10 years and uh, getting a lot of great traction and a lot of good growth in the marketplace. And I have to say I was a, or I was a proud Carvertize driver for years. Yeah, it's like had, six campaigns, five, six campaigns. campaigns. <laughs> yeah, you were in University of Delaware's MBA campaign, if I recall correctly. I sure yeah. was. I, I did ShopRite. I did the Delaware State Housing Authority. Will Mew. I Will think you did Mew. Will Mew. Yeah, I had a lot of campaigns. <laughs> oh, my God. We were, pay, we were paying your trolley square grocery bills for like three years. 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chris, Mac tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm Chris Burkhardt. Uh, I'm a fourth generation entrepreneur in Delaware, you know, not a transplant. So I always think that's kind of a unique thing. Uh, I have uh, the responsibility for a family brand in Placers. It seems as if no matter what generation or no matter what changes, there are workforce and workplace issues where workers and companies need help. So Placers has been there for 51 years. Uh, I restarted the brand uh, about 20 years ago. I'm 20 some years into my entrepreneurial experience, grew up in the family business, but I don't know anybody that isn't thinking about the life they have and if it's the life they want. And every business I know is trying to figure out if they have the right people in the right plot and spots. And we spend our, I've spent my life doing that. So we're gonna go right into this. Inc. 5000, you both were um, named on this year's list, although we, you're not both first timers on the list, correct? No, I think this is our third. Third and time Chris, Is this your first time? This was my 11th. 11th, oh my gosh. So you really know the process, um, and that's what I wanna know about. What you know? Why apply for this um, designation? What's that process like? What does it mean to be put on that list? Um, so Inc. Five Style, Inc. Inc. Magazine is a um, business entrepreneurial oriented magazine. And um, 
so that's kind of its beat. That's its lane, but it's very well known nationally and even internationally. So the brand holds a lot of panache. It holds a lot of recognition. So what it does is when a uh, it's marketing, when a company wins that award and keep in mind, they're one of 5,000. So there are many award winners. They're lending their name to that company as a stamp of approval or as a form of credibility. Um, so really the value that, that this, this, this award holds to the, the recipient is just creating some association with a well-known magazine and, it, and the entity that it is. Um, uh, so I, I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing to take out of it uh, is 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 just the marketing aspect that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Chris, I think that uh, first of all, ditto with everything that Max laid out. I think it can have an inherent value to your company's ecosystem uh, and feels very good to your employees. It's a form of recognition for hard work. Uh, I think that suppliers and early customers are excited for you. They're appreciative of the journey that you're on. And in some small way, when you're being compared to a competitor for someone who's evaluating you, this is one of those things that makes the checklist of like, wow, they're an Inc. 5000 business. Uh, I think the thing about being a repeat winner like Mac is that it shows that it's a growth award. Lots of people can grow once. A few people can grow twice. Some can grow three times. In fact, you can actually run a terrible business and then reapply and grow again. But to grow it sustainably like that, that just shows, because uh, you can't it's, you can't fool the world repeated times. And that's actually kind of the, the meat of the conversation that I wanted to get into. Um, you know, it says a lot to be able to grow and grow sustainably. And, you know, being two CEOs that have done that, um, what's your secret? Humility. Uh, I think you have to be willing to unlearn what made you successful the year before. Uh, You can't hold on to puppy projects, things you love as a CEO. You got to be willing to let things go. Um, Kelly, in the beginning... Mac and I, we could all gather around one set of cubicles. We could have a huddle. We could talk about the stuff we had to get done that day. We could lay out strategy. Everybody was on board with where the company is going. And then one day you're a 10-person company and that doesn't work anymore. So then everybody gathers in a conference room. And then all of a sudden people are all over the country. So that doesn't work anymore. And Everything about your business needs to be redone to scale because you can be the best five-person, 20-person, 30-person business. And humbly, you're not if you grow past it. So being able to unlearn and then stay ahead of that. And I, th- I think the key is to have your company have an entrepreneurial culture and spirit so it can innovate, experiment, risk. But you better come behind with a broom pretty quickly and have standard operating procedures and checklists and things like that because mm-hmm. you have a house of cards if you don't do the that and that's a really delicate balance yeah and it, 
I think that um, what doesn't often get stated as much as it probably should in business building is just how the job of leadership in a growing company is ever-changing, ever-evolving. Um, when Greg and I started the business, we were the ones um, sending out invoices, paying the car drivers, going to the networking events, meeting the clients, closing the deal, doing the client re uh, retention, um, creating the reports that we would send back to the clients on showing where the drivers went and how much exposure they went. But then you, you, your team gets a little bit larger and you have to delegate. So then you have to learn how to let things go and how to hold people accountable and, you know, are, do you have the right people in the right spots? Then you grow a little bit more and then now you don't have direct contact with everybody in the organization. So are they managing properly? Are they holding people accountable properly? Like in what you're doing as a CEO, as an owner, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, just keeps on evolving. It just keeps on going through different iterations of the skill set that, that that's needed at that moment in time. And um, it's really hard to do. It's why a lot of founders stay as the inventors, the innovators, because a lot of times they don't care for people management <laughs> and they don't care about, you know, how you communicate a big vision simply so it resonates. They care about creating cool stuff. So leave me alone in my lab and let me do this. Uh, it's it's very difficult. And I think that um, I wouldn't call it as much of a secret as I would. Just something that I don't think gets discussed a lot in entrepreneurship is when you're on an Inc. 5000 fastest growing company track or when there's just a lot of growth happening, you know, growth, it always comes with change. It always comes with change. And uh, how you are approaching that change, I think, is just a really interesting challenge that that um, entrepreneurs go through. Mac, it makes me think of uh, the first decision is to start a business, to be a founder to do all the things that you and Greg did. The second decision is you have to decide to be its CEO. And that's a distinct decision. And that's what Mac's getting at. Many people choose not to be its CEO and then they stay chief inventor or whatever. And a lot of people decide to stay on and they shouldn't stay on. And that's why they don't scale. You know, that's right. why they don't grow is, is, you know, they don't want to let go of being in this, you know, position of the father of the company when really they, they need a different dad or they need a different mom at that point in time to, to carry the baby forward. So two qualities I heard were um, trust in your employees and adaptability. Can you give me some examples as you're expanding your businesses where you, you experienced that and you had to kind of work through a, a situation? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So trust, we'll start with trust. Um, you have to trust your team. If you don't trust your team, nothing will get done. You won't have, you won't be able to effectively meet or pursue goals if you're working with people who you don't 
trust and I would also say lie. That's because in good teamwork, Kelly, you go this way, they go that way, and it's in pursuit of a common goal. And if you don't trust that they'll go that way properly or they're not going to uphold their end of the bargain, then the whole thing kind of just doesn't go anywhere. So, uh, you know, an example of trust would be in our early days, I used to handle all of our marketing. So all of our outbound communication, email marketing, PR, social media, that used to be me. And I used to hang on to it a little too much, like... Like it wasn't really driving the business forward. It was just like, it was important for me to get the image of the company right. Even if it really didn't make much of a difference, it was like more for me. Well, Greg took that over and now uh, a very talented professional named Amy took that over. Guess what? I don't really know the details of exactly what the game plan is. But I trust her credentials and I trust that Greg selected the right candidate and I trust that she's going to help push us forward. Me knowing what the overall goal of email and social media marketing is and our marketing plan. So that's what trust is. I'm not coming in, breathing down her neck, his neck, saying what's going on. I, I, I'm generally aligned. I know what she's shooting for. And then I trust her and Greg to be able to get that side of the business done. Well, and that frees up your time so that you can focus on other strategic items within your business um, and be that why person for everyone. You can, you know, not get bogged down in the, in the nitty gritty. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like, if you, if as the, as the CEO, all you're doing is saying the why, you're at a very, very high level <laughs> because like if, 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 if the majority of your job is explaining and selling and extolling the why you're a very, very large company. Like I still have to play very tactical day to day. Like, you know, I look at it as front lines, tactical and strategic. And the bigger you get, the more you start ebbing towards tactical and strategic. And if you're huge, you're mainly strategic. If you're a small company, you're mainly front lines and tactical. Selling the why is, 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 is motivating in selling based on principles and based on values, which is driving the culture. And you're playing pretty far back at that point in time. Chris, I want to give you a chance to chime in. Mac did a good job, but uh, I, I think um, we put trust at the center of our strategy. And I, I think trust is kind of far reaching. It's difficult to measure. But if you think about it from a leadership perspective, uh, if I make a promise to you, Kelly, and I don't follow through, that that damages my trust with you one on one, or if I let a team down. But if my technology and my systems have a leak and a laptop falls off a truck on I-95 and all of a sudden all my customers' data is, avail is available, that's a pretty big violation of trust too. So I find that trust is spread all across the business in one-on-one -on -one relationships and team relationships. And certainly you have an intimate relationship with your customers with trust. So I think I've just come to really grasp that. To complement what Max laid out about leadership and trust, for the longest time when something needed to be done, I asked the question of how does it get done? 
And I'm still a mid-market business and I roll up my sleeves every day too. I'm not walking around saying why all the time. However, I do say it enough, Mac, that they all mock me appropriately when I'm <laughs> saying why. They're getting the message. And what type of questions are you asked when you're when you're asking your why questions? Like give an well, example of that. So I think why is the company purpose? It's why do we get out of bed every day, right? I think that's what you're getting at. So for us, it's about creating a certain experience for customers. Um, the why for us is also the bigger long-term goals. It, it's a funny acronym, but you know, your BHAG or your B Harry audacious goal. I don't think they're just fluff stuff. Collins is too smart to have created it. I think it helps you align to all the tactical stuff that's so important to some broader big picture mission. So I get the eye rolls, Mac, is because I do my job. Yeah, we could be in the middle of a skirmish here, but we have to keep our eye on where we're going and make adjustments. So the eye rolling and everything is because I do find it's, if I don't say it, no one will, mm -hmm. frankly. If I'm always unable to say it because I'm busy doing something for today, then it'll never get said. And then you're really not getting too far on it. But I always used to think about the how something get done. And now I think about who. And that's been the biggest shift. And that's not a big company CEO thing. It's just knowing that Mac and I can't do everything. And actually what you're hearing is that we're probably not the best at everything. We're pretty good at organizing and getting people to head towards something, but really focused on who can do it. And that I helps. Wanna, I want to build off that, um, the, the, the who. You, you can't grow a business on your own. It's, it's a collaborative effort. So how do you get your team and your entire company behind your why or your mission um, so that they all feel a part of, you know, driving the business forward? People first need to see how much the leader cares. So like people are hardwired to just observe and believe and trust based on people who are close to them, less so what's being said, more so what's happening, what the action is. So I think how you create um, a workforce that's inspired to work hard, that's inspired to push past what they see their limits, is they're going to look at who, who they report to, and they're going to look at who that person reports to, and they're going to look up the organization and say, okay, like, do I, do I trust where this person is guiding me? Do I per trust where this person is pushing me? And is he moving or is she moving in such a way that I want to emulate? I'm a big, big believer that like the uh, culture, and I'd love Chris's take on this. He's Mr. Culture. In the early, the, a culture emanates from the personality and work ethic of the founders, of the leaders of the organization. Like it can be unofficially declared. It doesn't have to be written on any placards or posted on any wall. Early employees, when you're say five, 10, 15 people, the culture emanates from the leader. They watch what the leader's doing and then they will move in a similar way. Like if the, if the leader leaves at 3 p.m. every day, they're setting that precedent for the rest of the organization. Mm -hmm. If the leader comes in at 6 a.m. and leaves at 6 p.m. every day, that is the personality that the organization will adopt also. 
So I think initially, culture, work ethic, inspiration follows follows the leaders, and I think it does, you know, all the way until you're a large organization. But by that point in time, then you need different channels of distribution to propagate that culture through the organization. Like the leaders don't touch enough people directly where they're able to influence it like they used to. So now culture needs to be baked in. It needs to be institutionalized. You need channels kind of moving through the organization to be able to to foster uh, that, that culture that you want to keep. You've been dubbed Mr. Culture, so now I'm curious what you have to say. Always the pressure, Mac. You had to do that, right? You had to lay that out there. Um, Blazers, Chris Burkhardt, that is Mr. Culture. Well, hopefully it's a good thing. Um, So for a long time, I thought if I created an environment where people could be themselves, they didn't have to waste energy on faking corporate something, and that they could turn themselves towards the customer. And I gave them all the tools around the culture so they could be smart, they could have enough empowerment to make decisions, we would be transparent, they could see everything. Um, You know, leaders in bed culture, to build off of what Max said, leaders in bed culture. So my behaviors obviously were a part of that. I created the values. I felt that gave us the best chance to serve customers. You can be the culture guy and not have the right business strategy and go far, but you can't have the wrong strategy and be culture and go far. You do, it's almost like an infinity loop to me. I've always thought of that, that your culture feeds your strategy, your culture feeds your strategy. Um, I know you gotta execute, but if you have a great culture where people are just unleashed, they'll carry that strategy out pretty darn good. What I think is, you know, there's lots of ways to do culture and it doesn't have to be on the damn walls, but it has to be impactful enough where it's meaningful to your employee base and it impacts how they do stuff. Or you have a culture, it's just implied and it's probably the wrong one. Um, That's okay. It's either stated the way you want or it's unstated perhaps the way you don't want. Have either of you had to shift the culture within your company? Yes. Mac is laughing. <laughs> yeah, we had to we had to end up telling people Adidas tracksuits were not appropriate to wear to work and the first person to get that memo was me. So, uh, we had to uh we had there was just too large of an informality, you know. There's there was such an informal way that that we were dressing and it started with me that uh you know now we had to button up to nicer jeans and a nice t-shirt a long sleeve (laughs) t-shirt and move away from uh, adidas track pants and track suits uh but that's just you know dress policies just probably on the smaller end of of culture um Culture is like habits. It's like you're building a value system into into an entity. So once you introduce it, it's hard to displace. Like it takes a lot of inertia to displace whatever value you initially 
built or allowed to exist in your culture beforehand, in your company beforehand. It's just so important to get it right and be intentional about it the first time, as opposed to let something go unaddressed, let bad habits build, only to have to deroute it later. So I'll start with just a fun story. One of our values is front door. So if I'm on a project team and Max the customer and I'm not going to meet a deadline, hey, Mac, I know we promised that three o'clock on Friday. Here's what's come up. It's going to be five o'clock Friday. Is that okay? Front door. That makes sense, right? Get in front of problems. But when we first rolled it out all those years ago, it kind of gave me permission to be an asshole, to be, that could be bleeped if you need to. But hey, Mac, I want to be front door. I don't really like you. Well, that's not really front door. You, you have to be kind. You have to be respectful within the culture. So people took front door like permission to be an a-hole. So we had to reframe that. Now on a more, I guess, broader scale, I have a very team-oriented business that's hard to hold on to accountability. So every culture has a dark side, even great ones. So with a very team-oriented culture, individual accountability gets minimized. And I fight against that all the time within our culture. So, you know, milestones and deadlines. I, I have the kind of environment, Kelly, where someone would miss their deadline with Mac to help me achieve my own deadline. Mm. And so we have to rail against that accountability. And of course, I spent my whole life dressed to the nines with cufflinks and a tie. So Mac, I went the other way in jeans and t-shirts as fast as I could. But I do actually get you. I think we're going back to a slightly more formal overall environment. I don't think it's going to stay where it is forever. Nothing does. That's an interesting point that even, you know, the positive aspects of a company culture still has maybe a downside. It's very real. Um, you know, we, you know, Mr. Culture, it's not all perfect. It's yeah. not. In fact, it's it's uh, culture exists so that people can perform an outcome with excellence. You'll find that your formula that you put together sometimes isn't all that perfect and you have to make adjustments. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of values when I started. And then somewhere along the line, it got contemporary to have like four to six. We had to take a whole list of words that were my value and somehow fit it down into it because all of a sudden that's what Harvard Business Re Review said. Like there was nothing wrong when I had more, but you know, you got to make changes and what gets lost in that, right? Well, yeah. Tell me how, how long were your values? How long ago was this a thing, Chris? How long, how long ago did you have like how, and how many values are we talking? So the first thing I would say, my mentor, I was blessed to work for my dad who believed in teaching leadership first. So I brought that into my business. And he ran a company that had values. There was very values forward, Mac. So I grew up in the shadow of having values in a business at a time where nobody, you know, you had a mission and a vision. People didn't have values. So we were insanely different. And Mac, now I find myself where everybody has values. And the only difference is who actually is them or just has them on the wall. So... I was taught to just come up with a list of operating precepts, a bunch of words that created a story. So we might've had 20, but within that there was six for clients, six for internal, maybe six for vendors. 
we consolidated that all down to six today, Mac. Yeah, it's interesting. I was wondering when that, you know, like when we came onto the scene, that was always just standard parlance was like, that's, you, your five adjectives that describe yeah. who you are and how you roll. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. But I'm like, I could have sworn I walked into a McDonald's once and saw like 50 key words. I think the, the famous business leaders and pundits that taught it, um, you know, that there was a trend towards much more and longer sentences and, you know, everything's quippy and short today, you know. I think what's more important is that because if you walked into any business making a McDonald's, would anybody be able to name one value? That's the test. And then how does it influence their behaviors? That would be the second thing, mm -hmm. you know, if people can bring that forward. And values for the sake of it are silly. They have to drive business outcomes or I'd say they're a waste of time. I'll ask one last question. Um, as two successful CEOs, uh, what advice do you have for other small business owners or entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, as they're looking to grow their business? So I would say question your sanity first. That's a joke. Um, I mean, growth, that, I don't know if you ever heard this saying, but everything has a tax. Growth has a tax that you pay. Um, I worked really hard to birth my company in the third, and when I was in my thirties, I'm in my fifties today. I worked really hard. I'll never get back those hundreds of hours. Uh, and I just, I'm not saying I did it right, but I did it the way I knew how, which was to do it myself and bootstrap a business and grow it. And luckily I lived through it and I learned how to do other things. But uh, I think be prepared to change. Founders' roles change as we've covered. Focus on culture. Um, I think you have to have, a once you get it going, a very solid three-year operational plan. Um, not just big dreams, but I, I think you got to be able to look out and say, what are we doing the next couple of quarters? What are we doing the next couple of years? And really operationalize it. And honestly, that's the key to my success is the accountability of the next 12 quarters of what we're working on that's going to get me my growth number. I have more to say, but I know time is sensitive. Mac, go ahead, brother. A similar vein, just stay persistent. No, it's going to be hard. Um, I think that the world of entrepreneurship, Kelly, and the Inc. Magazine stories, you know, you saw 5,000 balloons. You saw 5,000 winners. And uh, what you don't see is all the struggles and the tears and the heartbreaks and the sorrow behind what entrepreneurship can be. It's, it is considered high risk, high reward for a reason, because there is a ton of risk and a lot of people leave with nothing. And, mm -hmm. and you know, it's, it's, you have to have a stomach for it. It's hard. And like, you really need to, Chrissy said, you know, you know, check it. You got to check out your sanity. Yeah. Your hype, your, your hype and your excitement needs to override your sanity <laughs> for quite a long, for quite a long period of time. 
Yeah, Mac, my favorite saying to that, and it's just to riff with you, is don't confuse passion for profits, Kelly. Mm. And we all go through phases where we confuse passion for profits. Um, and then, hey, Mac, I think the mental health of entrepreneurs doesn't get talked about enough. It's a crazy thing to, to pull off. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy. And I often think about that because, you know, how do you get care when you're in charge and you're going without? It's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, my dad started a business when I was in elementary school and, you know, witnessing and it was an ice rink. He built an ice rink, um, which is a expensive and complicated model. Um, and how that changed our family dynamic and the hours he had to put into it. Um, and your yeah. hobbies and where well, you and spent it, time it growing up. It did to being a figure skater, so that part was good. But, <laughs> um, yes. you know, I, I, I have so much respect for entrepreneurs because I watched my dad. And I will never start a business because I know that it is really, really hard work. And Mac, you said earlier, one of 5,000 I think perspective, there's upwards of 57,000 businesses just in Delaware, just in Delaware. So to be one of 5,000 is a, a really big feat. So last little segment, our combo connection. This is a moment for you both to give a shout out to someone in the community, a business, a business leader, uh, someone that you just think deserves a, a kudos and a shout out. Mac, I'll let you go first. Oh, man. Well, there's, 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 definitely, there's definitely a special place in my heart for Big Ive, Ivan Thomas of DETV. Um, I just like his style. Like, I like how he moves. I like his energy, his positivity. I think he does do a lot to bring the community together. Um He's just a great guy. He's doing great things. His heart is so in the right place. And uh, he's just, he's just, he's moving and grooving. So I love what he's doing. That's a good and, shout out. And that uh, I really like, uh, you know, I'm sitting in the space here of Tech Impact. I see Ryan Harrington out there. I'm like, this is 1313 Innovation all over again. Uh, <laughs> like the colors on the walls and stuff like that. It makes me think about Paul McConnell. And, uh, you know, he's a real estate um, business guy from the area. And, like, man, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. Not that he's asking for it or anything, but, like, he was really a big part of the community in connecting this piece to that piece, talking to him, talking to her, talking to him, saying he's pissed off about the city taxes. You know, like, he was just this hurricane, this tornado of positivity and uh i think he did a ton to bring the community together and like what's interesting is now that we're spending more time in florida you know somebody had a big presence when like you feel their i can feel his absence and i think delaware can feel his absence um so you know he's just somebody who's very top of mind right now Kelly, did you expect Mac to answer for me as well, or was that okay that he gave too, right? It's uh, okay. <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time, Mac. Um, shout out to Rob Epps with Junior Achievement of Delaware. Uh, great not-for-profit that 
helps kids really K through 12 and then adults with workforce literacy, financial literacy, um, small business and entrepreneurship. Uh, I know they've got some events coming up in the fall. They always have events, but I know I'm particularly excited. They're going to launch an 18 under 18 with young people that are making an impact in the community. I just think it's a really great idea. Anything that can catch people doing great things that a young person can't be bad for the rest of their, their run. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what I'll share today is, uh, I, I was a JA graduate. Uh, I did the capstone program in high school, kicking and screaming. I built birdhouses and sold them door to door. I was the VP of marketing. I had to figure that all out. It was an amazingly hard thing that if I really admit it, it's, it, yes, it's in my blood, but I really liked it. Mm -hmm. And it was why I got into this, frankly. Very cool. Well, my two shout outs, um, yes, I'm giving two as well. But uh, it's I have to the, come up with one more then. <laughs> it's the other two companies that made uh, the the or the Inc. 5000 the list. Hen hatch, the hen hatching. Yeah, the hen hatching. Yeah. Hen hatched um, someone. Well, there are, there are multiple Delaware companies that made the list, but uh, two more of them are, are members of ours, and that's Action Unlimited Resources and, and Social Contract. So I'll, I'll give a little kudos to both of them as well. Now, Mac, if anyone wants to get in touch with you after this, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, to send me an email, mccloud at carvertize.com or find me uh, on uh, LinkedIn or social media. I'm pretty, I got a pretty unique name, so it <laughs> should be pretty easy. Chris? I would say that Mac and Chris are the two easiest entrepreneurs to find in the state of Delaware. We typically answer our phone. Chris at myplacers.com. They can't take much more than that. Or when I'm on WDL on the radio, just call in and ask, ask me a question. So there you go. Uh, easy enough to find me. Uh, LinkedIn, social media, it's all, all there. And if you enjoy this conversation, have any ideas for future episodes, you can find my contact information and my colleagues on our website, www.dscc.com. Thank you both for joining me today. I really enjoyed talking with you both. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Conversations with Kelly, brought to you by the Delaware State Chamber of Commerce. Our thanks, as always, to our production partners at Short Order Production House, a bowstring company. And before we sign off, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening. I know podcast hosts say this all the time, but your support is invaluable, and it helps other listeners find us easily. I'm your host, Kelly Basil. We'll see you soon.